that you have broken rejoice. Well, that means that's a lot said in a short few words. Let the bones that you have broken. I don't know if we see our God that way. Is he somebody who does that? Breaks our bones? And then would expect us to rejoice? It's pretty crazy, I think, some people would, would imagine. But anyway, I hope we can see something about uh, the nature and work of God in the book of Jeremiah. So if you would, if you have your Bible and you want to read along with me, turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah, is this working? Close enough? Jeremiah chapter 18, verse number 1. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet. He spent a lifetime uh, receiving a word from God and, and ministering that word to Israel. And it seemed during that lifetime Israel would hear his word and they would spend their lives just ignoring what God would say. So much so that Jeremiah got to the point in chapter 20 of this book, of, his, of this book on the prophet's life and work, that he decided in himself, I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm not going to receive the word of God and share it with the people anymore. I'm done with this. You know, and you've got to sympathize with them a little bit. You know, you go year after year after year, and you're ministering God's word, and yet you get no response, no positive response. You don't see people's lives turned around. You don't see people asking or seeking forgiveness of their sins and, and seeking to serve God and glorify Him. But you see a people that continue to uh, sin and, and walk away from God and ignore God. So Jeremiah just shuts it off. But then he says, when he tried this, it didn't work very well. He tried this, and then it just burned in his heart and his soul. And he found himself having to declare the word of God. And he had to preach the word of God regardless of the outcome. So in this particular passage of scripture, I think it has a powerful message. And there's three things that I want to I touch on and bring out in this. And one of them is, I want us to see the sovereignty of God. And the second thing is, I want us to see the work of God. How God works in us. And then finally, the third thing is the mission of God. So in this passage, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go to the potter's house. And he says, And there I will cause thee to hear 
my words. So he had a message for Jeremiah, but he wanted to give it to him in the form of a, of a visual picture so he could capture the essence of what God wanted Jeremiah to understand. It was an extraordinary word, actually. And God says, I'm going to cause you to understand this. I need you to see something. I need you to understand it. I need you, Jeremiah, to embrace this word. You are my voice to the people. You need to understand something of the nature of how I work. So he tells Jeremiah, I'm going to bring you a great understanding. I'm going to teach you something that you need to know. I, have, I, I, I think Jeremiah knew this, but I think he needed to be refreshed in his heart and his mind about, what God's, uh, about the nature of the sovereignty and work of God. You know, I think sometimes, and at least in my history, and uh, the, from the, all the time I've attended church, when you talk about the sovereignty of God, People like tend to stand off a little bit. It's very misunderstood doctrine of God's word. It doesn't have to be. It's a very powerful doctrine. When I think about God's sovereignty, I like that God is sovereign. It means everything to me. It's the one thing that makes our God stand out and be different than every other God. All of the idols, all the false gods in all of the world don't compare to our God. They are not sovereign. Our God is sovereign. He, he's above all things. He's over all things. Nobody can stand up and say, you know what? Uh, my God's more sovereign. There's no such thing. The, the very inherent meaning of the word sovereignty is that God is a, a final authority. He is the only authority. And so this is something that Jeremiah needed to understand. He needed to understand that God was sovereign, and God intended to bring him this, this understanding of this. How do we see God today? You know, you listen to people's lives, especially Christians, and um, their testimonies, their profession of faith, the way they walk the Christian walk. And if you, and if you analyze it sometime, you know, just try to understand it from a... a an observation point, and there's people who watch us. There's people who are non-believers that look at us as believers, as Christians, and they, they watch us trying to learn about our God, to understand about our God. But what do they hear? You know, I, I think I see sometimes people who just don't embrace the God who, who is our Lord and who is our Savior, and they don't see Him as He is a sovereign, almighty God in heaven. You see, God doesn't, God doesn't make mistakes. This is kind of part of his sovereignty. He doesn't make mistakes. You realize that? God never makes mistakes. He knows all things. The Bible teaches us that he, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, that God works all things after the counsel of his will, of his own will. Not, the count, not us. He doesn't invite us into any kind of counsel and ask us, you know, how would you like to see this come out? How would you like to see this event transpire in your life? He doesn't ask us that. He is sovereign in control. He doesn't make mistakes. Nothing ever occurs to God. You ever thought about that? Nothing ever occurs to Him. God Himself does not exist in a past and present state. It's very interesting. God would start out teaching Jeremiah when he brings him down to the potter's house that he is 
sovereign above all things. He is the potter, and we are the clay. He is providentially in control of all of creation. He's providentially in control of your entire life. Wow, it says a lot, doesn't it? But I like that. I like that there is not another God out there that has more power. I like that my God, I, even though I don't understand everything about my God, we cannot. If he is ultimate and, and absolute and completely sovereign, then you're never going to completely understand God. It's just not, it's not we don't need to. More than that, we shouldn't even have a desire in our hearts to completely understand, but just to trust and knowing that he is the sovereign God, knowing that he is a loving and gracious and good God should be enough to settle our heart in, in, in accepting him as, our, as the sovereign Lord of our lives. We live in a day where all too often it's the easiest thing and it's the most common preached, you know, is the message about um, salvation. We're, we're, we need to be evangelical. Clearly we do, and I don't want to take away from that. We must be an evangelical people and share our faith with those who don't have faith, those who live and walk in darkness. Yes, that needs to be done. But you know what is too silent sometimes is the lordship of Christ in our life. The lack of the teaching of the lordship of Christ is what, you know, it's, it's the, the outcome of that is a Christian who's unhappy is a believer who's, who's complaining and unsatisfied because he feels like things aren't as they should be. We have to understand that God is sovereign. In Isaiah chapter 55, let me read uh, a few verses in Isaiah. We know these verses very well, but they're just good to read and, and um, be reminded of. In verse number 8, it says, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, just in case we thought they were. You know, you ever try to think about what God's going to do, and it doesn't happen that way? You try to determine how th something might happen, you know? You have a prayer request, and you begin to pray about something, and you're praying really fervently, seeking God, and then as soon as you get done praying, instead of leaving it at, at a prayer before God, you begin to try to answer the, the prayer yourself. Have you ever done that? And you start thinking how God might answer this prayer and how he might work this out in my life. And, you know, that's, that's not the nature of it. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are, your ways higher, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Wow. Is that true? Clearly true. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It will succeed. This is like the promise of God. Why, why would he tell this? Why do we find this scripture in, in Isaiah? Because it's important as the children of God to understand how, he, how God works. It's important to think, for us to know that God thinks at a level different than you and I think. Hence the need for us to trust God and to have a faith in God. We need to properly see God as to providentially the sovereign God of all of creation and all of the universe. And when we do... 
we begin to understand and we begin to learn what it is to have faith and trust. We can trust God. We can trust what he's doing in our lives. He can, we can trust God in what he's doing in the lives of our children or our friends or our parents, ourselves. We can trust what God is doing and let it happen. I see an age today where I don't think it's just, just today's age. I think it's been going on a long time. But I see a, an age where people are too quick to pray away everything that God's doing. They want to pray it away. Oh, I can't handle this. This is a big trial coming up and very treacherous and, and it's very difficult. Now, you know, Lord, can you please um, give me some comfort here and, and remove this trial? Remove this, this difficulty, this hurdle that's in my life. Can you just, you know, I need to, I, just don't, I'm not, I can't do this right now. I can't, I can't go through this right now. So God, can you just, you know, excuse me from this. Lift me up above this. Make it go away, God. Just make it go away. You know what we're going to trust? If we're going to trust in sovereign God, we have to get it to this point in our minds. We have to get to this point that we believe what he says, we accept it, and we embrace it. And then, there can be no questions that come to us and say, you know, if God is so loving, you heard this before, I know I have. If God is so loving and he is so uh, powerful and he's so merciful and he's so gracious and he is the sovereign God, if he really is what we Christians say that he is, or as people would say, what you Christians say that he is, if he's really like this, then people say, well, why would he let this happen in my life? Why would he let this happen in this place in the world? If God was really who he says he was, if God was so rich in grace and so rich in mercy, why would he let it happen? If God really loved me, why would he let me suffer the way I'm having to suffer? Why would he let me go through what I have to go through if he really is a loving God? These things are asked all the time, whether it's a national tragedy or just a tragedy on the home front. These questions are asked all the time and where people doubt God. I wonder how painful this is for our Heavenly Father to hear his children doubt him and question his ways. He told Isaiah, he said, my ways are higher than your way. Don't try to match them up. Don't try to make them work out the same way. They're, they're not the same. You're not going to see it the way I see it. Just trust me. I'm going to work it out and it's going to be amazing. So we can't ask these kinds of questions, you know, if God's in control, then why this and why that? We need to understand that we live in a broken world. You realize that? We live in a broken, sinful, ungodly world. And you and I are what makes up that world. You are a broken, sinful, and ungodly person. And the only thing that makes you holy and righteous is the love and mercy and grace of God that comes into us. When the Holy Spirit takes up His life and fills our hearts with Himself, then we become different people. The world's a fallen place. It's a broken place. It needs to be fixed. It needs redemption. And God is just the one to provide that. He provides redemption. We need to, 
We would embrace this. We cannot begin to understand how God works in our lives. We can understand how He works in the lives of His church and among His people if we do not first see and understand that He is a sovereign God and that we need to embrace this truth. We need to embrace the fact that God says, I work all things, not some things, not occasionally do I work things in your life, but I work all things in the lives of my people after the counsel of my will. Isn't that good? Isn't it good that he doesn't ask us what we think? I know sometimes we, I know sometimes we like to give God a couple suggestions. You've done that before, right? You say, well, God, it would really work good if you could just do it this way. If you could just allow this to happen, it would be just so much better. We love sometimes live our lives as if God is just out of the picture. We live our lives as if he's just literally out of the picture and he doesn't have anything to do with our lives. You know, he's there, he gives us, we see him as a gracious and, and loving God and we want to embrace this like this clutching on to this hope of, of salvation, but, but yet we don't want to imagine that he is control of our, in control of our lives. We don't want to imagine that he's a part of our lives. We don't want to imagine that he is involved in our lives. We talked about last week. And somehow in the, in, the, in the mystery of God and in his work, these things merge together so nicely. We talked about last week that Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know, that's him saying, I want to come in and spend time with you. I want to come into your life. But he, he stood and he knocked. Because he showed by knocking that he desires you. And then you get the opportunity to show by opening that door and receiving Christ, that you desire Him. And in all of that, God is still mysteriously sovereign in our lives. He works and prepares the heart in such a way, I believe, I believe, that when He knocks on your heart, and you're listening, you're going to open that door, and you're going to embrace God for who He is. Sovereign, but loving and merciful. Sovereign, but loving and merciful at the same time. He's not a God that just stands out there and says, listen, I told you what to do, and if you don't do it, I'm going to jab you. Every step of the way, I'm going to make it. That's not the way he does things. That's not the way he works. He doesn't jab. He works on us. And that's what I want to talk about next. He works on us. The second point. Cannot I don't know what I just did. Cannot I do with you as this potter? So he shows Jeremiah and he takes him down to the potter's house and he, and he's, lets, the, he lets Jeremiah see the potter working at the wheel. You know they have, a, they have actually in the original language it's wheels. The, the word wheels is plural. Because there's a wheel on which the clay sits, and then there's a wheel underneath the table where the potter's feet work and, and work the speed of the wheel. And I guess I'm not an authority on this, but I, this, there's a speed in the wheel that sometimes is necessary for it to be slow and sometimes necessary to be fast. And sometimes I feel like my life is like that. Some things move very slowly, and then things, when they start to move, sometimes it's really fast. You just hang on and realize God's hands on your life, and you go ahead. But... He says, cannot I do with you as this potter? So 
So God was trying to teach Jeremiah and says, understand something. This is the way I work. This is the way I work in your life. This is the way I work in the life of Israel. Primarily, it was a nation. It was a, it was a na national message to the, to the nation of Israel. When a vessel was ruined, the potter didn't just throw it away and discard it. It was crushed. It was, he, he forms it, and if something's not right, he crushes it and starts over again. I've never, never done anything like that on a potter's wheel, but I remember having Play-Doh as a kid. Most of you do. You know, you'd start making something and it didn't look right, and you'd smash it up, make it again, and you start working on it again. Same concept. It wasn't thrown away, but it was crushed. It was thrown back in the center of the wheel, and, and the potter began to work it again until the clay had taken the predetermined shape that the potter had in his mind for that to look like. Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for you. God knows the plans. He's the potter. It is in His mind exactly what to make of your life. It was in His mind exactly what to make of Jerusalem, of Israel, of the Hebrew people. It was God's purpose that Judea should become the proper scene for the manifestation of the Messiah. And they needed to be, it just had to be a certain way and a certain setting for Jesus to come. And, and, and Judah's sons needed to be the kind of people that were ready to receive the Savior's teaching and carry the glad tidings into all the world. Those things needed to be. And if, there were, uh, if, if anything could happen at any stage of this preparation, the Jewish nation kind of like went off course and were doing the wrong thing like they are now. Then the potter would crush the clay by some affliction, some trial. He would crush the clay and into, into an unresisting mass and start again to build it up into something that the Father determined would be appropriate. So he began to, that formative process, immediately, crush it and begin to make it. Crush it and begin to make it again. Crush it and begin to make it again. And again and again until it was just as the potter designed it. See, I do know enough about this that when the vessel's completed and it's just as it's supposed to be, they put it in like a fire or a kiln and, and they harden it and it stays that way, you know. And, uh, but you and I are never going to see that part. Not now, not yet. Sanctification, this, this, be, us being the clay and on the wheel is a lifetime exercise of the potter. He will always be molding and making us. There's always impurities. You see, today I'm guessing today that if you were a sculptor and you had a potter's wheel, however, it's probably electric today, I mean, you had all this, you would buy clay that had been like already uh, purified, you know, some refined or processed in such a way that it's just really nice to begin to work with this. Probably not the same in Jeremiah's day. When they would make something, there would be pieces in the clay. And, and, the, and as the potter would make it, he'd feel some debris. It didn't, what didn't belong there, and he would dig in, into it and dig into it until he could get it out. Sometimes you have to dig in so far that the thing would just collapse, and he'd, it's okay, no problem, you know, make it again. You and I have fallen people. We have brokenness in our lives that we don't even know about yet. Some of us we haven't, we don't even know about it yet. Some of us, we've had sanctifying work going on in us for maybe years now. And then, but it's just a cycle, you know. God helps us 
get rid of one thing, and then he helps us get rid of another, and then it's another, and then it's another, and so goes life. It's okay. It's just the way it's supposed to be. It's the way it's intended to be. From the vantage point of not just a nation, but of you and I being on that table, we have to understand that this, we are the workmanship of God. He told it to his people in the Old Testament. He tells it to us in the New Testament. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are his workmanship. I like the way that sounds. I like the way it sounds that God's in control because you know what? As people, I mess up too much. I mess up a lot to the point where I think I can't be fixed. I've been there in my life. I think most Christians have. And if you haven't, I will tell you this morning you will be there because it is the nature. You weren't born perfect. You were born with sin. You were born, born with a great need to be satisfied. So the clay is molded. We are his workmanship. The making of potter, uh, of, a, of a, some pottery and a vessel uh, uh, is a thing of our art. You know, it's, it's a slow, it's a gentle, it's an artistic work. The master potter our Lord works His hands over our lives. His feet are under the table, out of sight, and constantly changing and adjusting the speed of the wheel. He is about your life. Wouldn't He be? Wouldn't He be about your life? He said, I'm going to give My Son to die for you. I've got this covered. My Son's going to die for you and redeem you, and it's going to be on the merits of Jesus Christ, and then I'm going to work sanctification in you. It's a lifetime work, and God says, I'm going to do it, and wow, I like it that way. I tried this myself before. Have you? You know, I figured I can, I can make um, things work and I can be appropriate and I can do it God's way and I can be in charge of this thing and I can, I can be righteous. I can take these, the letter of the law and I can live it out. I had so much trouble with that. Well, pretty much ultimate failure in doing it my way. And then realize that I have to yield to the potter's hand yield to God working in my life and being the master of my life, being the Lord of my life. Do you want God to be the Lord of your life? We can't resist Him on every turn. We can't, we can't pray away every strategy. It was so important for Jeremiah. And it's so important for us to see this incontestable authority of God as being our master, our Lord of our lives. Think about something. This is a weird illustration, but it came to my mind. You know what these, uh, you know, I'm old enough, I remember when stores weren't all supermarkets, you know. It's really weird. You can go to some stores back in the U.S. and I see it's happened everywhere in the world now. But you can, buy your, um, you can buy your eggs in the same store as you buy your, your jeans and your shoes. And you know, everything is all together in the same store, these grand, huge supermarkets. I thought about it. I said, you know what? Well, you can get just everything in these places. Wouldn't it be interesting if there was a couple of aisles in the store? And the title on them was Life Events. You could actually walk down the aisle and just kind of Pull things off the shelf. Life events. Maybe it's um, uh, a happy years as a teenager. I don't know. 
It could be anything. Maybe it could be just um, a rich college experience. Maybe it would be like, I want a perfect marriage. You just pull it off the shelf, throw it in there, and you can go. And a couple of really nice kids, you know, perfect kids. They just, you know, they're just the best. No problems, <laughs> never any struggles, never any rebellion. You know, that's, and you, and you could just go through the aisle and just choose these things that you would like in your life, and you throw them in there. And then what if um, you round the corner and the next aisle over, you know, it continued, but here it would be like hardships, you know. Uh, Here's an event, special needs child. I'd like to have a, down, a child born to our family with Down syndrome. Or this it's difficulty, or this difficulty, or this. Some special needs child. Who would, who would pick that up off the shelf, right? Or I would I, uh, go through a disaster in my life. Divorce. The death of a child. The death of a spouse. Loss of a job. Loss of integrity. Loss of a career. Who would pick these things? Nobody. You know, it would be absurd, right? If you were, would you ever? Would you ever go down there? We look at people who have had trials like this and maybe even admire them. We say, wow, you know, you're doing so well. We wouldn't choose these things. We would always choose that the easiest most unrestricted, most pleasant, most comfortable, most unchallenging road. No, more, no adventure for me. Well, fortunately, those kinds of places and those aisles in the supermarket don't exist. Not so directly, maybe metaphorically. But you know what? God knows. He knows what you need. And He brings things into your life that you would not have asked for. There's sin in your life. You didn't ask for it. You were born in it. It's not your fault. You were born in it. But you will die from it. You'll be condemned because of the sin in your life if you don't have a Lord and a Savior of your life. If you don't accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, accept the forgiveness that He lovingly gives, then you will die because of your sin. But you do have sin in your life. And that sin often comes out in the form of tragedy. It's this... It's this debris that gets in the clay that, got, that the potter says, you know, I don't want that there. He sees something in you and he says, I don't want that in your life. I need to get that out. You don't even know it's there. It's, it's, it is, but the potter knows. He knows it's there. I really like the way these verses read in the old King James Version. And it says that the vessel was marred in the hand of the potter. You know what? If you're going to be marred in life, if you're going to be crushed, if your bones are going to be broken in life, isn't it better for someone like Jesus to do that? Isn't it better for someone like our Lord and Savior to be the one who crushes us? Who gets that unwanted thing out of our lives? That unwanted sin? That undesirable thing out of our life? can't think of anybody I would more rather trust my life to than to trust it to God. We always have these ideas of how, how things must work and how they need to work and how, even as Christians, we have these ideas of how, how I have, I, you know, I want to glorify God with my life. 
I've surrendered myself, so we dictate to God how I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it this way and this way and this way, and I really like it this way, and I think, God, I think you will like it this way as well. Wow, really? How often we put on those shoes that take on that responsibility to tell God what, he th what we think he should do in our lives. God, you know that thing in my life, just leave it alone. I just, it's too harsh, too hard. You know, no, God doesn't do that. He doesn't work that way. We are clay in his hands, and he's determined in this divine and sovereign way to make us a vessel. Let me go to the third point. And the third thing is the mission of God. God has a mission and a purpose and a design. We always, sometimes, we've got to learn to look at these things that they are not tragedies that happen in our life. If we are believers, they're, not they're difficult things. I'm, I don't mean to mince that. I've, I've walked down a road, people were things I would have chosen. No way do I want to do this. I have argued with God and said, God, I know you have taught many people this lesson that you've taught me, but you, really, you chose this way? This was, this was the harshest way, Father. I would have loved to have learned this a more comfortable, easier way. This didn't happen that way. He, God has a mission. Think about for just a second. I'm trying to keep watching my time here. Think about this for just a second. Think about all the times, you know, when Jesus uh, would use a, a storm, a real-life storm as a metaphor for like all kinds of things. And, and he, would, um, he would walk on the water in a storm to, his, uh, to the disciples that were in a boat, fearful and all of that. Emphasis on he walked on the water. He didn't come running to them because they were in danger of their lives. That's what they thought, not what God knew. Jesus would be asleep in the boat, and there was this great storm just throwing them around and water coming in the boat, and they couldn't bail it out fast enough, and Jesus is asleep. Emphasis on sleeping. <coughs> and he would calm the sea, and he would, he would calm the storm, because of their panic, not him, because of them. And he would say, oh, you have little faith. There's got to be storms in your life, guys, and you've got to trust that whether you know I'm standing there to, to, be, to, to save you and bail you out, whether you see it or not, you need to learn to know that I'm there. And I will be there in the most extraordinary ways. It doesn't matter whether I'm walking on the sea to you in the midst of this storm or, I, or you think I'm asleep and unaware of the trials and tragedies and storms in your life. Don't ever think that. You're a child of God. Never. You have not the, the right to think that. It, it is painful. It grieves the Spirit of God for us to think that way. I like it when Jesus came on the water, and, and Peter said, Lord, if it's you, let me come. Ask me to come to you. Let me just get out of the boat and walk right to you. And, and Jesus said, well, come. Peter was actually walking on the water. That's got to be a special event in his life. Then he started looking around and paying attention to the storm instead of, instead of on the Lord of the storm. You ever think about that? Sometimes we just think God is this... He, he, he sets things rolling like a, a deist, you know, believe God kind of gets things started and he backs out of the way and he's a, he's a non-participant in your life. Wow, that's not true, people. He's a participant. He is a participant in your life. And David could say to him, God, these bones you are broken. 
Now rejoice. These bones that you have broken are now rejoicing. That's what loving and trusting God is. Jesus knew these disciples needed to learn this lesson. He would soon depart from them. He would go to the cross. He would resurrect. He would spend some days with them. He would, be ascend, he, he would go and be ascended up and sit at the right hand of his Father. And the disciples would be here for, to carry out the Great Commission. And have the responsibility that God has also passed on to you and I. He knew that they would have this. And they needed to get used to the fact that it's okay to have a storm in your life. It's okay. I'm, I'm aware of it. Matter of fact, I caused it. I know there's got to be people out here like me who said, no, I don't believe in a God that causes these kinds of storms in my life. I don't believe in a God would do that. I'm so sorry. But he does. Because he loves you. Because he is making you. It's his mission to take your brokenness. You say, well, I'm not broken. Yes, you are. You were broken from the day you were born. The Bible says you were born speaking lies. You were broken, you were sinful, and you were an alien and a stranger to God until the Holy Spirit comes into you and you cry out, Abba, Father. It's God's mission to reach out to you and to pull you to himself. It's his mission. And it's okay for you to understand and know this. As painful as it is, just, you know, this whole business on the potter's wheel is just over and over. You know, if you've ever gone through this total collapse, the breaking of bones kind of event in your life, you think, wow, Lord, can that just be the last one? Actually, when it happens, you know, you don't even want to live anymore, right? You don't want to live anymore. You don't want to continue on. This is too hard. God says, I'm going to make your bones sing. I'm going to make your heart sing again. He's just, he's just this powerful. This is a loving mission of a divine and sovereign God. He made it. I love this. He says, he made it again, the vessel that collapsed, that was marred in his hand. He made it again as seemed good to the potter to make. He doesn't work on the life of his people and really get this lump of clay and say, you know what, I don't know where I got this. This is the worst kind of clay. Get it out of here. Get something else. He never does this. He never does this. Not God. He made it again. It seemed good to the potter to make it. I heard someone preach on this verse a long time ago and his slant on this was that... Um, you know, he couldn't make the vessel he first had in his mind because of the sin in your life and my life, Israel's life. But he had, he had another plan, he, and he made it. And I thought to myself, at first I thought, well, okay. I accepted that. You know, that's interesting. But as I got older and God taught me more, worked me over, when he says here that he made the vessel again as seemed good to him to make it. It was, that means my time's done. It was this, his original plan. 
God doesn't change plans. He doesn't err in his ways. He's not a God who makes mistakes. He doesn't, God never did something and goes, whoops, I didn't intend for that to happen. I'll fix it. That's not God. That's the way we respond to stuff. God is perfect in all of his ways. He has a plan. And it's, and it's what, a plan that seems good to him after the counsel of his will. And it's always for good. It is always for good. You know, we put so much into this life sometimes, you know. Sometimes, if you know, I've been through this life in a point where I thought, you know, I've messed up too much and I, uh, I need to bow out. And I won't go into that much further, but I just need to step out of the way. And God just won't let you do that, you know. It's like Jeremiah saying, I'm not preaching anymore. I'm not God, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I can, see, I can see taking your word, Father, to these people if they would just least listen, but they're not listening. They don't care. They don't care about you. God, just kill them all. Get rid of them. They're just a bad bunch of people. Yeah, Jeremiah, they are. A bad bunch of people, but they're my people. And I have a plan for their life. And if I have to crush them over and over again to accomplish my sovereign will, I'll do it. And they'll come out as they should. As I have planned for them to come out. I don't know where this finds you. You know, uh, I told you last week this lesson was about restoration, but it always sounds like it's a one-time deal. But You know, restoration is something God's always working in our lives. You know, because you sin and I sin daily. You know, sometimes we take too long to get right with God, you know, to go to Him and ask for forgiveness. You know, He's not going to want you, you, you ever think this, He's not going to want to hear from me right now. I, you know, I was just uh, talking to Him yesterday, we, we were having such a good time, and look what I did today. What did I say to my family or my children or people I work with, or how did I act? You know, God didn't want to, you know. And we think if we just let a little bit of time go, God will forget about it, we'll forget about it. Or, or we can maybe do a, a string of things correct or do some stuff right in our life. And then once we do that little bit of stuff right in our life, then God will say, it's like, come on in again, okay? You kind of fixed it a little bit yourself. Where, does it, where do we read this? It's not in God's Word anywhere. He doesn't teach us this way. It would be so good if you and I could sin our 1,000 times a day and 1,001 times a day we go to God and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did it again. And God, what is he going to say? What is he going to say? He's going to receive you. If you've got a repentant heart, broken and contrite heart, he never despises this. Never. So, I don't know, in your life, maybe, maybe something in your past is has weighed you down and beaten you down so bad that you think, you know, God's done with me. He doesn't want to hear me. He, he can't. Where do you find this? That's you're listening to the lies of the devil. You're listening to the lies of Satan. You're listening to the lies of the enemy. That's not what he says. Maybe you're going through the worst possible thing right now. God's there. He may seem asleep to you. He seemed indifferent to you, but he's there. He really, really is. And if you'll just take a moment, you know I'm telling you the truth. 
You know he is there. Open up to him. Confess the mess you are, you've made of your life or someone else's life. You know? Most of the time it's the mess we make of somebody else's life. The hurt we've caused someone else. And God will hear that. And he will work you and make you again into a vessel that seems good to him to make it. It's the best possible place for you to be in life is in the potter's hands. It's letting God work in your life and accepting what he brings. Accepting the storms. It's okay. You know, you're, are you, you th- I'm not saying this, that if you have a difficulty in life or sickness or illness or tragedy or whatever, that you shouldn't pray. And don't, you know, don't ask God to take it away. And just, just ask God... Lord, let this serve in my life as it pleases you best. And when it comes down to sin in your own life, just be, you know, be repentant. Be for, ask God for, for forgiveness and He will forgive. Seek the forgiveness of others. If you've wronged or hurt someone, God will make a way for it to be right and, and, and come to a place of peace. You can have peace in the worst possible storms because God is there. He is there. These storms that you read about and the, the apostles on the Sea of Galilee and stuff, these are, these are real life situations, but Jesus used them to teach them a extended story. They're metaphors for everything that could happen in your life and my life. It's okay. God's not restricted by things that you think He's restricted by. He's not restricted by anything can work with you and in your life and you'll have he'll use you in a way to bring glory if that's your heart's desire he'll use you in your in your life to bring glory to himself it's a promise he has it's his sovereign desire to do that in your life in my life it's just necessary for us sometimes to have the debris moved out of our lives it's necessary for us to be marred in the hand of the potter it's okay God has a plan, and it's a great plan. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our gracious Father.